This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Puts us in a, a, a mood where we can dig into God's Word together and <clears throat> go ahead and take your Bibles. Just uh, be ready. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 6 first, and then we'll be marching through the entire Bible today. Uh, maybe not all of it, but uh, several different passages when I was uh, 12 or 13, my parents were still living in, in Bolivia, South America, and, and our vehicle at that time was a Willys Jeep. Uh, I don't remember the exact year, uh, but it would have probably been an early 60s model. It looked very similar to, to this. In fact, I believe it was that exact shade of green. Um, I realize that many of you, how many of you have ever seen a Willys Jeep? Anybody ever seen? Okay, there, there are a few of you, uh, old-timers. Um, but most people don't even care about a Willys Jeep, and it certainly doesn't have the same appeal of a Tesla Cybertruck or Lamborghini or Jaguar or, or, or the coolest car of your choice. But, but a Willys Jeep was actually perfect for our setting, because at that time in Bolivia and and really not too much has, has changed uh, even today, but most of the roads we traveled were dirt roads. They were full of potholes and uh, it, it, dusty in the dry season and just really muddy during the rainy season. Now, this Willys Jeep didn't have a very fast top end speed. It was slow. I mean, it was slower than slow. Uh, it, it had a low gear ratio, but that was actually better for us because the majority of miles that we drove were in first or second gear, often in four-wheel drive. Uh, our travels took us up in, into the Andean mountain range where the roads would go up to about 16,000 feet above sea level. So we needed the lower gears to power us up the mountains. But then when we came down those switchbacks, we also needed lower gears to slow us down and uh, to keep the brakes from overheating and causing us to take you know, a shortcut straight over the mountainside, if you know what I mean. But, but then our travels would take us across the continental divide down to the jungles to visit some of our churches there as well. And, and the only road at that time that went to this part of the jungles was this road called Death Road. And you may have seen pictures of it. I don't know why they called it Death Road. I, I can't figure that out. But, but every once in a while, this, uh, pictures of this road will circulate uh, around on the internet. And when I see it, I, you know, I, I just say, I know that road. I, I know that curve. And, 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 and I know that, that monument. In, fi in fact, on this next uh, picture, go to the next slide there, you, you can probably just barely see it. There's a monument right there. I know that monument. And, and that was a monument to prisoners of war in the war in the early 30s against Paraguay, Bolivia against Paraguay. And, and so prisoners of war from Paraguay, Paraguay were, were pushed over the side of that mountain, so that's a monument to them. But this road would take us on a very scenic ride down into the tropical jungles where we would see flocks of parrots and, and toucans and, and, and wild monkeys jumping in the trees and, and all kinds of other just amazing jungle critters. And, and I've traveled this road at night many times. We'd go down, you know, on a Friday and have services and then come back Sunday evening, Sunday night after, after the church services. And, and being at the Continental Divide where, where the cold air from, from the mountains met the warm air from the jungles, it was frequently socked in with fog. And I would have to have somebody get out of the vehicle and walk in front of me, basically lead me up the mountain, because in certain places, due to the fog, you could barely see your hand in front of your face. 
Now at this time, all vehicles in, in, in this third world country, including our Willys Jeep, were standard transmission, manual transmission, automatic transmissions, uh, uh, Ernie and this uh, Andean uh, mountain range wouldn't have held up for more than just a few weeks. Um, well, when I was 12, maybe 13 years of age, my dad took our family outside of the city of La Paz, and, uh, which actually means the city of peace. Can you imagine growing up in a place where this is what you saw every morning? I'm serious. We would come out on our porch, and that was the view I had every morning when I was growing up. But, but this is the city of La Paz, which means the city of peace. And, um, but he would take us outside of the city, the, kind of the, the lower part of the city, into uh, to a place that's called the Valley of the Moon. Now, uh, it, it was called this, obviously, because of the terrain. And uh, this, this is just a picture of a, a small part of the Valley of the Moon. But, but they're in the middle of, of the Valley of the Moon, and I don't have a picture of this area. But, but this, this is an area where nothing lives, lives except for lizards and snakes. But there was an area that was a flat area, and it encompassed, I'm just guessing, maybe 30 to 40 acres in the middle of, of, of this terrain. And, um, and it was a place that people went for what they called Dia de Campo, which just means a day in the country. And families and, and, and churches and different organizations would go there for picnics, and there were even a couple of dirt soccer fields. And, and so this was a common place to get away for the day. Well, one day, and, and this ended up turning into an occasional event in our family, my dad took us to this area. He got out of the Willie's Jeep and said, Joe, jump in the driver's seat. And, and again, I would have probably been preteen, maybe at the oldest 13 years and Dad proceeded to give me a crash course, and, and I realized that's a poor choice of words um, as I got behind the wheel, but he went through the basics of driving a vehicle with a stick shift. Now, why would Dad do that? I mean, by the time I would be old enough to get my driver's license or even driver's permit, we would be back in the States where most every vehicle had an automatic transmission, so why was it necessary for me to learn how to drive a stick shift? Well, Dad knew that more than likely there would come a day when knowing how to drive a stick shift would come in handy. And he was right. Even though with the different vehicles I've owned over the last 45 years of my life, I've never owned a stick shift. Yet my high school years were spent in Arkansas, where after my grandfather's death, my dad took over his rice and soybean farm. And so I ended up having to frequently drive a farm truck that was stick shift. And during that same time, I worked at a lumber yard and, and drove a delivery truck with a stick shift. And then when I went to college in Kansas City, I ended up working my way through college driving a bus that was a standard transmission. And even here on occasion, it's come in handy to be able to jump into a vehicle and not have to figure out what to do with three pedals and a stick on the floor or even in the more rare occasion where the gear shift is on the column. Now, at that time... A whole bunch of, of years ago, it could have seemed like a complete waste of time to learn something that I would perhaps rarely, if ever, need to know. But again, Dad knew. Dad knew it was better for me to learn ahead of time how to drive a vehicle with a clutch rather than to be faced with a situation where as an adult, I would be embarrassed and have to say, uh, I'm sorry, I, I don't know what to do here. So, all that to say, 
But the challenge with certain things in life, such as learning how to drive a, a stick shift or, or learning how to change a flat tire or, or learning how to jumpstart a dead battery with jumper cables or, or learning how to cook or more importantly, importantly, learning how to deal with major life skills is this. This is the challenge. Do you wait until a person gets into that situation to teach them what to do? Or do you teach them certain skills beforehand? But in so doing, perhaps risk it being labeled as irrelevant and unnecessary. Well, for the next couple of weeks or so, in this new series that I'm calling Hang Tough, some of you are going to be like, Joe, I'm so glad you're dealing with this now. Thank you. But for others of you, you will have a tendency to just sit there and say, Joe, this is irrelevant for my life right now, and I don't need to know this. In essence, you know, my car has an automatic transmission. So, Joe, why don't you talk about something that has more relevance? But I decided to take a cue from my dad. And, and in essence, not literally, but in essence, this morning I'm going to teach you how to drive a car with a stick shift before you need to know how. Any questions? You look so confused, <laughs> and I think I am too. Um, but here's what we want to do today and over the next couple of weeks through this series. Number one, I want us to jumpstart. I want to jumpstart us into the Easter season. We're less than a month away from Easter. And I want us to begin looking at Jesus' death and, and the way he handled everything in life from the hardships, the injustices, the, the fears, the invasion of Rome into Israel, the fact that Jesus didn't own a house or have savings to fall back on and many other anxieties that Jesus had while on the way to the cross. How did he deal with them? But secondly, through Jesus' responses, before we need to know, before situations arise, I want to help us be better prepared for the days ahead of us, because I believe some tough times are coming our way. And yes, some of us right now, we're still living comfortable lives, and, and this may not seem applicable today, but I believe some tough times are right around the corner. In fact, even right now, there are challenging situations we're facing. For example, did you realize we're living in a country that now squeezes those who stand for biblical morality? We're living in a world where a pandemic has brought about uncertainty. And, and you may not know this, may or may not know this, but it's affected church people more than we realize. Because all across America, since the pandemic began, approximately half of the church membership has gone missing. It started out as everyone being careful, and then, of course, habits and patterns developed. And, and even though, thank God, our church is doing a little better than the national average, yet, yet half of the church in our country has gone missing. We're also living in a time where a war is affecting us clear across the world. We feel the pinch in gas prices. And I think we're all uneasy where this may lead us. I even received an email where an individual thinks that the president of Ukraine could be the Antichrist. So the atmosphere in our world is bringing high levels of fear and anxiety and depression. People are saying, could this pastor, do you think this is the beginning of World War III? And naturally, as I look at these situations, I am concerned. I don't know where this is all going to lead us. But the reason that I felt the need to give this series 
ahead of time is because when people say, Joe, this really scares me, this concerns me, I'm worried, my response is, hey, yes, things are scary, things are dark, but as that great Southern Baptist preacher Adrian Rogers said, it's dark, but it's gloriously dark. And these events in our world should not cause panic, they should not cause fear, rather they should... They should cause us to just snuggle up closer to the Lord with anticipation. Because even though we may not be, yet have you thought about this? This is so exciting. We could be the generation that actually gets to experience the rapture of the church. Isn't that exciting? That's exciting. You know, we may not be the generation, but we could be. But if it doesn't happen in our lifetime... I want us to be prepped ahead of time. I want us to live in readiness for the events that will drastically alter the course of history. So let's jump into our series, Hang Tough. We better pray again. God, just be with us. Um, You've put this topic on my heart for several weeks now. And I believe I'm in obedience to you. And Lord, just help us as we kind of give an introductory lesson today and that will lead us into just Easter here in a few weeks. And Father, give, give leadership. Lord, would you guide my tongue? Don't let me say anything dumb. Uh, God, I pray that you would just help me to say everything that needs to be said, even if it might hurt a little bit. But God, above all, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just saturate us with your presence. Be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by asking uh, some questions to get the wheels turning in our mind. And these questions may offend you a little bit. But hopefully you won't get too upset and stomp out. Here we go. What happened to us as Christians? How did we become so soft? How did we as Christians come to the point of getting our feelings hurt so easily? What happened to our Christianity that caused us to become thin-skinned, so much so that if someone in the church or even elsewhere at a business or a restaurant, says something that we don't like, we get our feelings hurt and say, well, I'm not going to have anything else to do with them again. How did we get to that point? What happened to the mentality of the early church where they faced uncertain times, in fact, way more uncertain than our times today, yet they did so with confidence and boldness and grace? How were they able to basically be under the rule of a cruel Roman machine without having their levels of anxiety and fear off of the charts? How were they able to stand up for Christ and not compromise values? What happened to the whole attitude of considering it an honor to be able to suffer hardship and and not become bitter and, and actually they could consider it pure joy? Now, again, I, I realize I probably started off in the wrong gear this morning. You know, when you drive a stick shift and you try to start out in second or third gear, you kill the engine. I might have killed today. I might have killed the entire series. But, but it seems that we as Christians have become soft and fragile and live under so much fear and anxiety. And then 
when we do feel like we've been strong or tough, we're confused on what being tough is. We think we really stand up for Jesus when all we're doing is just being ugly. You know, we let people have it and let it be known that we're anti-abortion, anti-gay, anti-liberal, and anti-this and pro-this and pro-that, and, and bless God, I'm going to let these people know where I stand. And, and we feel good about ourselves because in our minds, we as Christians were tough. And, and maybe we were, but perhaps we were just ugly. So ahead of time, before you need this, before the world situation gets worse and maybe even takes us into end-time events, I want to go ahead and, and address this subject. How should a Christian respond to situations that cause uncertainty and fear and anxiety and even anger? Because during these days, church, and those of you watching online, we can't afford to become fearful and anxious and soft and fragile and always walk around with our feelings hurt. We need to learn to be tough. And we need to learn how to thrive in an uncertain world that, that I'm sorry, will probably never, ever go back to the good old days of Andy Griffith. That's over. Now, for our discussion today, I want to begin with the events that led up to the event that we will be looking at in about a month, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this event was an event that was both horrible and glorious, just as our days today are horrible but glorious. That they're horrible because you have unfairness and suffering and death and war and hunger and sickness and disease, but these days are glorious because we're getting closer to the day. Amen. And Jesus, the, the, the founder of our faith, Jesus, the author of our faith, Jesus, the person we sing about, the, the person that we pray to, Jesus, who is the, at the center of everything, the same Jesus that went through so many difficult situations through his responses. I think we can see that many of our reactions of fear and anxiety and being fragile are not the way that Jesus wanted us to live. Amen. Now, if you say, well, well, Joe, Jesus really didn't go through the tough stuff that we go through today. Really? Is that what you think? Let's look at a few of the situations that we go through and see if Jesus went through them. For example, have you ever been hurt by a friend? That stings, doesn't it? Jesus was hurt by close friends multiple times. Have you ever had church people say bad things about you? Jesus had church people say bad things about him all the time. Have you ever had a pastor or a leader in the church not be nice or sensitive? And Jesus had religious leaders that were not nice to him. Have you ever been falsely accused? That stings. Jesus was falsely accused. Have you ever felt squeezed by society over religious values and principles? And, and of course, that's happening more and more today. They're, they're trying to put us in a mold, an ungodly mold. Jesus was squeezed by society over religious values and principles. How about this one? Have you ever felt alone, like you didn't fit in, even when you were with your quote-unquote friends, or even church people? Jesus had that happen over and over. He was with church people and was an outsider. Have you ever been made an example at work or, or someplace else to satisfy a group of people? 
Jesus was, in fact, the gospel writer Mark said this about Jesus in Mark 15, 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified to satisfy a crowd. And so if you look at all of those injustices, Jesus could have been like us and reacted with anger and, and, and fear and anxiety. He could have gotten his feelings hurt a thousand times over. He could have walked away from church. He could have said, you know, I love God, but I don't want to be around church people. They're worse than people who don't go to church. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. He could have said that. Or he could have also just kind of settled. You know, I'm just going to take the easy way, isolate, don't come around, don't make any waves. But I want to make it clear that that Jesus didn't react in any of those ways. Jesus didn't isolate. Jesus wasn't consumed with fear and anxiety. He wasn't soft. He wasn't fragile. In fact, he was the very opposite. He was tough. Say the word tough. Tough. Jesus was tough as nails. In fact, let me tell you how tough Jesus was. If you grew up in church, you've heard how tough Jesus was. You've heard what Jesus went through, you've heard that he was flogged. And that word flogged doesn't mean much to us today. Uh, about the only time I ever hear the word flog used is when, a turkey, when turkey hunters talk about turkeys flogging each other. Uh, but, but the truth is, if I, were going, if I were to go into detail about what flogging is, some of you would have to leave the room. Or if you're watching online, you would turn to the cooking channel because flogging was gruesome. And in the past, this this is truth, before Easter, I've had people say, Pastor, please spare us the graphic description of death on the cross, which makes sense. You know, we don't don't want to scare the kids, and we as adults want to have a G version, a sanitized version of what Jesus went through, and and I understand that. You know, believe it or not, you may not see this, but I have a really soft heart, and and I know this sounds silly, but I can't even stand to watch a bug suffer. Now, a cat's a different... No, not really. (laughs) Why do cats always make their way into our sermons here? Um, But, you know, I can't stand to watch a bug suffer. A few months ago, Jace got a bearded dragon for a pet. And and surprisingly, Faith has come to bond with this little reptile. (laughs) And and just for clarification, that's the bearded dragon right there, okay? Just just so you know, in case you were wondering where the bearded dragon was. I'm I'm sorry, Faith. Uh, uh, but, but Lizzie, in, in, in just five to six months, she has tripled in size. We've been, we've been feeding her well. Uh, her diet includes live crickets, and so we order a thousand live crickets at a time to feed her. And, and uh, if you come into our house, you're going to find crickets everywhere. But, uh, but, but I spoil her. I, I hand feed her. Uh, actually, I do it with tweezers because uh, sometimes if I hand feed her, Lizzie misses the cricket and grabs my finger. Uh, but I've got tweezers, and so I reach down and I'll grab a, a, a cricket to, to hand feed Lizzie 20 to 30 crickets a day, sometimes 40. And, and sometimes when I grab a leg, that, that cricket will jump out of its leg, and, and there's just hobbling around. And, and so even for a, a cricket that's going to be swallowed by a bearded dragon, that bothers me. I, I, I have a soft heart. I can't stand to see anything suffer. And, 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 and sometimes I think that because we want the G version of the crucifixion, the pain-free version of the crucifixion, we don't get the full impact of what Jesus went through for us. 
And don't worry, I'm not going to get overly graphic this morning, but, but there was a skill when it came to flogging a man. Two Roman centurions would, would take a wooden handle about a foot long and, and connect it to leather straps about six to eight feet long and tied into those leather straps would be bits of steel and, and stone. And here was their goal, one lash at a time, rip the skin off the person's back, chest, stomach. That's what Pilate had done to Jesus in order to satisfy a crowd. But I want to point out that Jesus was tough. And then after he was flogged, they twisted together that famous crown of thorns that we've seen in so much artwork and we've even romanticized. And, but they took that crown of thorns and jammed it on his head and no doubt immediately the blood began to flow down his face. But Jesus was tough. And then his friends and followers, instead of standing with him, they fled. They denied him. They locked themselves inside of closed doors. He could have gotten his feelings hurt because his closest friends didn't stand up for him. But Jesus was tough. And then the Romans took him to be crucified. And crucifixion was designed not to kill a man instantly. They chopped off heads when they wanted that to happen. But a spike or nail between the bones and the wrist to suspend and hold the weight of the body. A nail through the foot in order to allow the victim to be able to push up on something in order to breathe. Because people didn't bleed to death during crucifixion. They suffocated because they couldn't breathe. But Jesus was tough. And by the way, lest we forget, Jesus was not captured as he was trying to flee to Egypt or to evade arrest. Jesus was not captured as he made his way into the desert of Engedi to hide out in the caves that David hid in from Saul. He wasn't captured at a port city trying to make his way across the Mediterranean to hide out on an island or disappear into the Jewish population in Ephesus or in the region of Galatia. Your Savior, my Savior, the same Jesus who was born in a manger, the, the Jesus of history, walked into Jerusalem on purpose in full daylight down Main Street knowing this would be his fate. I'm trying to say two things today. First, your Savior was tough. And secondly, your Savior was not fearful nor anxious. Your Savior was stronger than steel. He was braver than hell and, and its forces. And again, he proved to be tougher than the nails that they drove into his hands and into his feet. And the cross is something so special for us. Because it reminds us of Jesus. And so we put crosses in jewelry. Or we put them as decorations on buildings. Some people even tattoo them into their skin. But, but for those first century people, this was not jewelry. It was not decoration. At this time, the cross did not even remind anyone of Jesus. All they knew was that the cross represented death. And not just death, but the very worst kind of death. But here's where I want to go with this. Just as Jesus was tough and bold and courageous. So Jesus has issued a call for us to be tough and bold, and courageous. Ephesians 6, verse 10, in a very common scripture that you know, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord. My question is, are you strong in the Lord? Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, be strong and courageous. And so again, my question is, are you strong and courageous? It goes on and says, do not be afraid or terrified. Are you afraid? Are you terrified? Do not be terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. And listen to this, He will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Second Chronicles chapter 15, verse 7 says, But as for you, be strong and do not give up. Are you strong? Are you about to give up? It says, For your work will be rewarded. Hebrews 13, 6 says, So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Amen. Are you afraid? And goes on to say, ask the question, What can man do to me? And then if that's not enough, Jesus said this to us, and this should shake us up. In Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and listen to this, take up his cross and follow me. And we must understand that taking up our cross does not mean a life of blessing where everything will go our way. No, taking up our cross means that we will follow Jesus when our friends say bad things about us. Taking up our cross means that we will follow Jesus when a pastor or a leader in a church is insensitive and says something that hurts. Taking up our cross means that we will follow Christ even when our culture is similar to that of the Roman culture where an agenda is pushed uh, that is morally and spiritually in conflict with the kingdom of God. And when Jesus gathered his followers together, he would over and over say things like this. Some of you really need to listen to this. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, don't be afraid of someone or or, or something where the worst thing that can happen is your body might be killed. I think Jesus was saying, "Don't, don't sweat the small stuff. Rather, Jesus was saying, your fear should be of the one who was the one, well, Referring to our Heavenly Father who has the power over both our body and over our soul. And so here's what Jesus was saying. Never allow fear to come from a politically and spiritually corrupt society. Or from a pandemic or from a group of people or an event or a circumstance where the worst thing that can happen is they can hurt our body. Again, don't sweat the small stuff that only affects this life on earth. But fear the one who has control over both our souls And dictates the future of our lives in eternity. There's an incident we all grew up hearing about in church. And one day Jesus said to his disciples, and remember a good part of them were fishermen. said, let's go on a boat ride across the Sea of Galilee. And these men were seaworthy. They owned boats. They knew the Sea of Galilee as well as you know, uh, some of you know Stockton Lake. During the boat ride, Jesus went to the back of the boat. He was tired. Perhaps he covered up with a big old thick scratchy wool blanket and fell asleep. And a storm came up. And it must have been one monster of a storm because those guys that had been in storms all of their lives, they were scared. They thought, we're going down. We're going down. And um, they woke up Jesus and and, and he replied, "Why, why, why are you so afraid? Well, duh. They, they were afraid that they were going to go down. But you remember what happened. Jesus said, powerful words, you have little faith. And then he rebuked the winds, said, peace be still. And the waves went calm. Here's what I want to get at. Mark in his gospel as he tells this story, he does something so interesting. For those of you that are into English grammar, he takes the Greek word for fear. And, and fear can be used both as a noun and as a verb. Remember your grammar, what's a noun? You know, person, place, or thing. What's a verb? Describes action. But Mark takes 
the verb form and the noun form and puts them together into one sentence to show how afraid they were. And, and in the original Greek language, he says the disciples feared, which that's the verb, said feared a great fear. That's how bad their fear was. Mark says they feared a great fear. Well, Jesus tried to help them and, and us see that we must not give in to the fear of what can only touch our bodies. Yes, there is someone to fear. But, but Jesus said, don't be dominated. Don't be dominated by the fear of, of storms. Don't, don't be uh, consumed by the fear of financial uncertainty. Don't be consumed by the fear of a pandemic. Don't be consumed by the fear of a war. These are things that can only touch our bodies. If you're going to let fear dominate you, make sure it's fear of the one that controls not only what happens to your body, but what happens to your soul in eternity. And so here, I think, is the message of Jesus for all of us. Uncertainty is certain. I know that sounds funny. Uncertainty is certain. However, listen, submitting to fear is optional. Uncertainty is certain. It's going to come. You don't know what's going to happen. Uncertainty is certain, but, but submitting to fear depends on you. You have a choice. You can be overcome with fear, or you can be strong in the Lord. Yes, we live in an uncertain world. I mean, who knows what the war in Ukraine will bring about? Who knows what adjustments we may have to make in, in our personal lives because of inflation and rising prices? Who knows what will happen in our country with the I don't know exactly how to say it, so let me just say it this way. With this new immoral morality that is celebrated and pushed on us that doesn't line up to the kingdom of God, you can't avoid uncertainty in life. But we have a choice. We can choose to be dominated by fear. We can choose to be anxious. We can choose to just settle and be fragile and, and soft. Or we can choose to fear God, who incidentally, whenever we fear God, He helps take away fear and make us strong and bold. In the early centuries after the formation of the church, some historical documents were written. And, you know, I love God's Word. And I, I attended a funeral yesterday of a pastor friend and it put me to shame. But his goal was to read the Bible through five times every year. And he, and he documented every time. And, uh, and his family, as they looked at the Bible and the dates that he had done this, um, they know he had read the Bible through at least 180 times. And, uh, I mean, just puts me on my knees in full conviction there. But I love God's, I, I love God's Word, but th there are some other documents that were written that were not inspired, but they help give us a little bit of, uh, a, little bit of a glimpse into some, some history of, uh, of some other Christian leaders um, some of these documents didn't survive. Some of the documents did, did survive. But we've, we've come across just a few fragments of these documents. And, and these documents give some incredible details about a few Christians that were tough. One involved Mark. The Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Uh, evidently after Jesus' death, he founded the church in Alexandria, Egypt. And 
And Mark didn't preach an easy gospel. In fact, he preached that the people should give up their Egyptian gods and goddesses. And, and, and there were a lot of people that came to Christ. But in the year 68 AD, he evidently ran into a mob and they captured him and reportedly tied a rope around his neck. And they dragged him through the streets there of Alexandria, Egypt, behind a chariot, telling him to recant. He refused. They kept dragging him for two days until his bones were showing and until his life was taken from him. Mark was tough. Another example in the year 363, Julian the apostate who, he restored the pagan religions to the Roman Empire. Remember Constantine came and he had the dream and put the cross on the shields and all of that and kind of pushed Christianity there, had some type of conversion experience. But Julian the apostate came, apostate came afterwards and and he elevated uh, paganism back to the respected religion and, and he began to persecute Christians. And St. Marcus was a, a bishop in a town in Syria and, and Julian the Apostate ordered Marcus to repair a dilapidated pagan temple. But Marcus, and, and perhaps unwisely, but because he was so offended by this request, instead of repairing this pagan temple, he destroyed it. As a result, the enraged townspeople stripped him naked and dragged him through the streets. Listen to this. They stabbed him all over his body with their pencils and quills and then smeared him with honey and suspended him in a basket in the town square where the wasps and bees swarmed into the basket, stung him over and over and over until he died. Marcus was tough. Bartholomew was one of the 12 apostles translated evidently Matthew's gospel into Armenian and began preaching Jesus and how they should abandon their gods and idols and they refused and executed Bartholomew by crucifying him upside down and I can even hardly think of this but skinning him alive and and evidently removal of skin is so excruciating that victims invariably would pass out would, would pass out multiple times during the torture and so they learned to prevent this to uh Put them upside down so the excess blood flow would go to his brain and it would keep them conscious they wanted them to suffer Bartholomew was tough I could mention several others that I, I actually had in my notes but because of time I'm just going to stop here there was a pagan Roman doctor and, and one of his responsibilities was to go out into the arena after Christians had been mauled by animals and examine their bodies. In one, in, in one of his pieces of literature that has survived, here's what he says about Christians. This is amazing. He writes this about Christians. He says, for fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. In other words, Christians is as they were thrown into the arena, into the Colosseum, and, and they were mauled by these wild animals and tortured until their death. He said, even in the face of that horrendous suffering, this Roman pagan doctor said they were fearless. Which leads me to a few questions that I want to leave you, and then we'll go home. Is our version of Christianity worth all of that? I mean, is the way that we live our Christian life worth it all? Is our version of, oh, Lord, help me find my car keys. And thank God he answered prayer, and I found my car keys, and I found my phone. And I'm going to go to my small group and say, God answered prayer. And 
help me find my car keys. Or praise God, I had a great quiet time today. Or praise God, I got extra money back on my income tax refund and was able to afford a new phone. And, you know, these are okay. God's interested in the small things. He's interested when we lose our car keys. And our, for some of us, that's a lot. And our phone, for some of us, that's all the time, every day. But is that the extent of our Christianity? Are we just content to be shallow and fragile and get our feelings hurt easily and live in fear and be filled with anxiety? You know, if, if Peter and Paul and Bartholomew and Mark and Jesus, if they would look back at us and they say, uh, what, what, what? You're afraid of, of what? Oh, you're afraid that your back seat in the church will be taken and you're going to have to end up sitting closer to the front? You're worried about what? You're worried that your package from Amazon has been delayed and it's going to arrive a day later? You're full of anxiety because of what? Because it's going to rain on your day off? Remember, uncertainty is certain, but fear, anxiety is optional. The choice is ours. So when fear starts whispering in our ear when anxiety starts messing with our minds let's, de let's develop the habit of saying I reject that fear because I follow a man who was tough and he rode into Jerusalem and embraced the cross without fear without bitterness all that so we could in turn carry our cross without fear anger and bitterness so to all of us here today in this room and those of you that are watching online or listening on the radio I leave you with some two-word sound bites. Here they are. Be tough. Be strong. Be courageous. Fear not. And I couldn't figure out how to say this in a two-word sound bite, but I'm going to say it this way. Quit getting your feelings hurt so easily. Jesus said, I am with you even to the end of the earth, and that ought to give us courage and confidence to stay the course. Now, I know today was kind of a Debbie Downer. Um, next week is going to be a little bit more on the bright side, and I've been working on next week's lesson. I'm so excited about it. Honestly, I wish I could just continue another hour today because I'm so pumped for next week. You need to be here, especially after today. Let's, uh, let's pray together. God, I want to I wanna thank you for your word. I, I want to thank you just for the examples of how to be strong and how to not uh, be fragile and soft. And Lord, uh, thank you that even though you went through so much more than we did, and we do, Lord, you showed us courage. You showed us boldness. Lord, these are challenging days and father we need to make sure that we're not wimpy christians today we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow but lord ahead of time i pray that we would be able to embed these principles in our hearts and in our minds and our lives so that when those difficult times come that truly will bring fear when persecution does come Father, I pray that we would have these principles in mind. And God, as was said by that Roman pagan 
doctor that examined the bodies and examined those people that had been mauled to death there in the arenas. I pray that God, we would be, that would be able to be said about us that there's fearlessness, fearlessness, that there is confidence in Jesus. So Father, right now, we just ask that you would help us this week to begin trusting in you, that we would be strong in the Lord, that we would be God, just comfortable with our surroundings because Jesus went to the cross and took upon himself everything that we have gone through and more. And he was victorious, and we can also, therefore, be victorious. Thank you for your word. We love your word. And we love your people, Lord. Thank you for these people. And uh, just give them strength and courage to face whatever comes our way. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, aren't you glad you came to church today? I'm glad you did. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.